The Queen's Jewish Link presents the Jewish Living Podcast, the show that examines the many facets of Orthodox Jewish life. Here's your host, Izzo Zwerin. For decades now, we've seen the rising costs of virtually every aspect of our lives. From the cost of food, to houses, to gas, we rarely get a break on expenses. Here in the firm world, we have many added costs. We pay a premium to live in a Jewish community and to have kosher food. We have shul membership costs and, of course, the scourge of yeshiva tuition. One area where the costs have gotten well out of hand seems to be the amount we spend on important events, namely weddings and bar and bat mitzvahs. Some of that has to do with the fact that everything gets more expensive. Some of that has to do with keeping up with the Schwartzes. Whatever brought us here, it's definitely an issue that causes extreme financial hardship on many families. However, with the recent onset of COVID, we've seen a dramatic reduction on how much we spend on weddings. We've proven that weddings don't necessarily need to be these enormous one-day, six-digit events. They can be more cost-effective and still be nice. And this week on the Jewish Living Podcast, we invite on someone who has had to deal with these changes directly. My name is Michal Weinstein, and I am the owner of Events 360. Michal and I will discuss the differences between the Jewish events, both before and during COVID, as well as the many areas that COVID has changed our perception on the Jewish event. We will also look at the gig economy and how many people have adapted to these changes. Finally, we'll see if there's a way to ride this wave of lower-expensed weddings once COVID has passed. Michal, thank you so much for joining me today. What is an event planner? What does an event planner actually do? So an event planner is what it is. We plan your events. We basically take charge of every single aspect of um, planning the event from A to Z, from booking the caterer and the music to coming up with the theme and the decor and finding the right vendors to bring the vision into reality. Um, to the little details like the napkins and the little touches that make an event special, Um, to the big things like renting tents or renting tables and chairs and counting how many we really need and then figuring out the tablecloth sizing and the counts. Every single detail that goes into making an event, which is quite a lot, is what an event planner is in charge of. And not to mention day of, which to me is the most important part of it. Okay, so when I was getting married, which is nine years ago about people who used an event planner they were pretty much uh they they were on the higher end scale of what a wedding was from what i understand now that has that has tailed off and and it's it's really for everybody so what's the advantage of using an event planner versus me just doing it all myself is it just the convenience of having somebody else there to to run things or would i be able to do everything that you do just do i have the time patience energy and ability to do it Okay, so I'll be honest with you. I have, before I became an event planner, um, personally, I never used an event planner. Um, the only thing I ever did when I did all my events, which I've done many, um, I did over three bar and bat mitzvahs. I've done major charity events. I was, I basically took charge of my own events. I worked really hard. I worked days, I worked nights, I worked, I don't, can't even count the amount of hours. And I enjoyed it because this was definitely something that was up my, my, out, you know, up the alley for me, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody has the same creativity. Not everyone has the same patience and stamina. Um, and so a lot of people really feel that they need someone else to do that type of work. Um, can anybody call a caterer and discuss a menu? Sure. 
Um, but a lot of people feel not as confident and they want somebody who is an expert to, to, to help them decide the menu and what is right for the event. So I believe that hiring an event planner is definitely something that people do for convenience for, it is a luxury, there's no question. And you know, you're right, these days, more and more people are using event planners than they did decades ago or years ago. Okay. So, um, and also I'd like to add the day of, that's, that's a crucial, that's something that no matter who you are, you need somebody to be there that day to be in charge of everything that's going on. Because when you're busy getting your hair and makeup done, when you're busy preparing yourself, you don't want to have to deal with the little fires that event planners constantly have to put out. Right. I, there's not one event that I've ever done that did not have many fires, some big fires, some small fires. But my job as the event planner is to not even tell the hosts and to basically make decisions. Um, and my decisions basically determine a lot how this event ends up um, coming to play. You spend so much money on these events, you want it to go perfectly. You want it to be perfect. So the decisions that you make that day can really make or break your event on so many levels. I, I definitely hear that. I, I remember from my wedding, we didn't have an event planner, like I said before, um, but we put certain people in charge of different areas. Now, what we didn't think about, so, so basically, oh, if there's an issue with the band, this person would be involved. If there's an issue with the caterer, this person would make a decision. What we didn't consider was what if there's an issue between those two? What if there's an issue exactly. between the band and the caterer, between the florist and, and the venue? Things like that, the photographer, um, like things like that. If, that. if there's an issue there, who makes the decision? Did you, the person you put in charge of, of one vendor or the person you put in charge of the other vendor? It's nice to have well, one e Even person. more so, I'll give you another example. You okay. hire a florist. So you could say, what do I need an event planner for? I hired a florist. The florist is going to take care of what the florist does. The, the band will take care of the band. The DJ, you, you know what I mean? The bottom line is that the florist is just focused on their job. Right. They don't know the big picture. So oftentimes what I found is the florist has a game plan, the one that we decided on, and they're, they just are focused on doing that. He, as the event planner, I see the bigger picture. So I might look and say, wait, I know we planned on doing it in this position here, but now that I'm here, I'm realizing it's taking away from the dance floor. And it's gonna be a big disaster if the dance floor isn't big enough to hold the amount of people that we're anticipating. Now that we're here, we see that it's not gonna work. So listen, florist, I need you to kind of rethink what you're doing and alter it slightly. Now, do they, do they like when I do that? No, most of the time they're not very happy with me. Um, but I am there to advocate for the host, for the client. Right. So I don't care what the florist thinks. If the florist is, is inconvenienced because I'm telling them that they have to shift 10 feet over, or if I tell them they must move what they just worked hard on doing because it's just not gonna work, so be it. But that's what an event planner does. Okay, so something you mentioned earlier yeah. uh, about people wanting to bring in an expert to kind of run the show uh, with their thoughts in mind, but run the show. How does one become an expert? How does one get into event planning? I, I, I went to college. I don't think that there's a, an right. event planning major that exists. So wh wh where do, how do you grow into the, the field? So I think like anything, a lot of it is natural. You know what I mean? Like I've, I wasn't an event planner till about three, four years ago. But naturally, I was always good at putting together events. I know how to be organized. I know how to um, basically like all the skills that, that go along with being a good, a good event planner, whether it's having a good eye, knowing how to lay out a room. I know how to walk into a room and I see it before I'm able to envision it. A lot of clients, they can't envision things. It's a gift to be able to do that. So I do think that there's intrinsic gifts 
that people have that make them better event planners. Um, and, you know, I think you have to kind of love doing it. It's not an easy job to do. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of hours. Um, the day of is, is, is brutal. But right. even when I spend 12 hours on my feet day of, I enjoy every single minute because it's something that I love doing. Not everyone loves that. You also have to be a social person, I, I believe. I believe you have to love people. You have to be able to enjoy all sorts of people and have a lot of patience for people. So I think these are the skills that you need in order to be a good event planner. All right. So the reason, the real reason that we've, we've brought you on this week and this time is to discuss the, the differences between what weddings specifically were like in the, at least in the Jewish community, but really everywhere um, before COVID and then during COVID and what we could look to do after COVID is over. And yes. when I say after COVID is over, I'm talking about after a vaccine comes out, after, you know, after we go back to what life was before, like 100% right. back, not like this wishy-washy thing where we're like, oh, this number of people, that number of people, we're not really quarantining yeah. anymore, but like that, that, that level of out of the woods. So let's talk about first right. before COVID. So my, my first, first question is, why do weddings seem to keep getting bigger and bigger? When my parents were getting married, you know, 30, 40 years ago, don't, don't, don't quote me on the exact number, um, 30, 40 years ago, they, weddings, a big wedding was in the Orthodox community was, was 250 people, 300 people. Today, yeah. you can easily hit 450, 500, and that's not considered enormous. That's considered right. kind of average. Normal. Average, yeah. average so is about 400. Why yeah. are weddings getting so, pre-COVID, why were weddings getting so big? I think in general, everything just keeps getting bigger and bigger. BC, before COVID, um, <laughs> everything, whether it's homes, <laughs> whether it's any, you know, you know, clothing and every, everything. Think about it. when we were younger, what was the designer clothing wore? I'm sorry. Benetton you... and Gap and Champion. That was designer clothing. And then okay. my, ki my kids now, it's about Prada and Gucci. Come on. You know? Right. So I just think that in general, society, um, I think social media plays a big role in this. Right. Um, before social media, there really wasn't a way to show off everything in an immediate fashion in such a broad way, right? Now, anything you do, you are able to broadcast it. And people get very jealous, I guess. There's a lot of people who are watching um, and competitive. And I think people do a lot of things for social media. I'll be honest with you. People, you know, my, my biggest thing is doing these amazing photo backdrops for bar and bat mitzvahs that kids can take pictures in front of. Why? It's all about Instagram and Snapchat. Right. So social media is a big part of it. Yeah. I'm just add to that because I think social media adds another layer where previously before social media, if you had a really good friend growing up, like you high school, like best friend, and then you moved away from each other, possibly you're, you lose touch. You don't have Completely. anything to do with them? Completely. But yeah. now with social media, with Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and, and, and WhatsApp and all of these new methods of, of staying in touch with each other, you're still friends with those people that maybe in a previous lifetime you wouldn't be friends with anymore. Absolutely. But now you're still friends Absolutely. and you may feel obligated to invite them to certain events uh, if, you're, if you're keeping in touch with them, plus all the people that you're currently friends with. So everybody's network grows. There's also the people who have bigger families now than we were 30 years ago when people had smaller families. We were post-war. Uh, a lot of the elderly, the older people weren't around. Now we have bigger families, bigger connections with people. And social media does play a part in it, but I do think that there's a whole other host of issues 
with and uh, and also when you're promoting it online when you're sharing all your pictures which everyone seems to do you don't want to insult people who didn't come to the event so you need to make sure that you include every single human being that could potentially be insulted and it 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 isn't at a point where it's ridiculous and it became ridiculous um but that's what it was like before COVID. Everybody right. was just inviting everybody, even people who had nothing to do with you. People who you say hi to in shul were invited to your weddings right. and your bar and bat mitzvahs. So that takes care of, it talks about how it got so big in terms of people, uh, in terms of yes. guests. But what about in terms of extravagance? Because oh, yeah. we've, that's yeah. a different level. You can have as many yep. people as you want. I could invite 500 people to my backyard for, actually, I can't. I could invite 500 people to a gathering in a park for a barbecue. That's not going to cost right. me as much as it's going to cost me to uh, invite them to a, uh, to a fancy wedding. So right. what about the extravagance? How did we get to the point where we were spending so much just on, on, the, on the show of it? So again, I think it leads back to social media. It leads back to the fact that it's, it's become a show. The aspect of keeping up with the, with the Rosenbergs, right? You want to keep up with your neighbors. And every time somebody does something ups it, you need to up it. A lot of people feel like they did this, I need to do this. So where does it end? It just keeps going. I mean, take invitations, for example. We've done the most insane invitations. People just want to keep being different, being unique. And why? Why do they want to do this? It all has to do with impressing people. It comes down to whether it's impressing your friends and your neighbors or whether it's impressing social media, it's, a, it's showing it off online. I'm guilty of that too. We're all guilty of it. So yeah. Have you gone, have people gone the other way? Like trying to show off their non-extravagance? Like, oh, we're just going to do evites. Have people done that? Okay, so, so I've had that. It's not common, but I've had people who have the means and want to be more low key. But I find that even those people don't really understand what low key is. <laughs> they say to me they want to be low key, um, but then they're really not. You know, they 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 still want everything to be really unique and beautiful, and oftentimes that comes with a price tag. So right, okay. So there's the extravagant. Then we're talking about a lot of people that that have means and then potentially want to spend below what they're expected to for their amount of wealth that they accumulate. Um, what about people spending above their means? I think that's more the norm. Okay. I, I think people, more people spend above than below, obviously that's obviously. a given. Um, and more people spend above than those who could afford it. I think right. that most people can't afford what they're doing. Um, with our yeshiva tuitions and our camp tuitions, um, there's no way that people can afford to spend 60, 70, 100 grand on an event. It's just not possible. But they're doing it and they're doing it with uh, maybe they're borrowing, maybe they're mortgaging, maybe they're who knows what they're doing in order to pay for it, but they're doing it. All right. So let me ask you this. So this question is basically going to be for, let's say, the middle aged couple who hasn't had done a wedding yet. Maybe their oldest kid is graduating high school, they're in college, and they're coming near the point where they're going to have to start thinking about that. So I'm going to give you a scenario. And this is, again, all pre-COVID type of a thing, okay? Average cost of a wedding, just so people like hear the price tag kind of what it is uh, so that they're prepared. Um, Right. 500 guests, no options for uh, like, like a main dish. It's whatever we give you. Like we give you one option. Here's your, here's your dinner. Standard smorgasbord, uh, five to seven piece band, uh, an average hall with its own caterer that you don't have to bring in and kosher things. Um, not right. too fancy flowers, uh, a regular photographer with, you know, one crew type of a thing. 
that type of right. a wedding, what are we looking to spend on that, that size? Okay, so it really depends on the neighborhood, I'll be honest with you. Okay. If you're asking in the five towns Long Island world that I'm in, um, okay. 80,000 80, sounds about right. Okay. Okay, and, and that's not an extravagant wedding. That's a very decent, nice wedding. Okay. Um, and, and I might even be underplaying it a little bit, but, okay. I, but I think 80 would get you a nice, decent situation. Okay. More or less. You can, you can cut um, costs to go a little bit lower. You can, you can obviously go right. as high as you want. Right. You can go as high as you want. Um, but 80, I would say, makes sense in a decent hall in the, in the Long Island region where I am. But now if you go to Lakewood and Brooklyn and William, you know, like areas like that, things change there. Because you have to realize a lot of these people, um, aside from the fact that financially it's a different situation than in the five towns, let's be real, you know? Right. Um, but they also have many children, even more so than well, our average four, right? right. Um, so they can't go ahead and spend $80,000 on weddings. So they often have halls that are much more budget friendly and simple. And I, I believe that you could make a wedding in those areas for 40, 50, okay. which is still a significant amount of exactly. money. But when split between another family, it's a little bit more palatable. Right. You know, to, to, to pay 15, 20 grand per family is not so crazy. Um, as opposed to when you do bar and bat mitzvahs where you're all on your own, right? right. And it's all on you. So I, I, I think that it really depends on the area. I really but, do. But just so you, the difference, one major difference between bar and bat mitzvahs and a wedding is, yes, you only, you're, all the costs are in one family, but half the guests potentially. Um, believe it or not, yes and no. You know, the, the bar and bat mitzvahs that I've been involved with here in the five towns, you know, 300, 400 people average. So right. um, perhaps, I mean, listen, perhaps weddings could be more like four or 500 people, but these bar mitzvahs and they're, they're right. up there. I, I guess with overlap with like, if somebody's on both, both families lists, then I guess they wouldn't count twice. They'd only count once. So yeah, that would make sense. Right. Um, right, but it would make sense that weddings always have more people than a bar and bat mitzvah, true. Correct. Okay, so that's before COVID. That's where we were, you know, six months ago, right. back when the world was normal, or however normal normal right. is. It was, a little out of, it was a little out of control. Yes, just a little bit. But now yeah. it's super under control in terms of spending. Yeah. So before we get into what the differences are, how has it been for you as, a, as an event planner um, a lot of the, the events that you were working on up until this point probably had to, you know, halls were done, exactly. uh, all of the yep. vendors, yeah, musicians. So how has it been, first of all, for you as a planner? Second of all, for all of the gig economy vendors, we're talking about musicians and caterers and florists and photographers all the way down. So how has it been for you and how has it been for them? It's been a disaster. <laughs> oh my goodness. And the, and the people who are surviving had to figure out creative ways to pivot um, to survive because it's been bad. All our events were canceled starting mid-March, right. April, May, June, <laughs> July. Um, everything pretty much was canceled. And if it, and then if, they, if people chose to do something, it was a fraction, literally a fraction of what they planned on doing. So in that respect, um, disaster. And now, what's a little bit... Yeah. Sorry, as, as, a, as a planner, are you still involved in those fractions? Yes, as a planner, um, we, we pivoted in a lot of ways. Okay. We started working more on the outdoor, cute little mini events that people are doing, the Zoom events. Um, balloons have been a big thing because um, I guess people don't want to spend the flower, you know, the, the exorbitant flower right. fees, right? 
So even though balloons are not cheap, believe it or not, um, balloons are far cheaper and they take up more space and they're more, in a sense, they, they're very impactful. So balloons have become, you know, anyone who's in the balloon business did not lose any business. The opposite, they became right. huge. Um, as a graphic designer, all my signage definitely did very well because people now are, are very into lawn signs. Right. They're very into banners and things graduation related to signs. Show, graduation signs. Anything that shows off in your home that you are now stuck in, that you have something big going on is something that is, is going on. But, it, right. but obviously, it's not, there's not a lot of money to be made in that. That's not like the same level as, as doing an amazing big event. Right. Um, you know, certain caterers, if they pivoted and they learned how to do safe, you know, boxed little mini, you know, hygienic catering, um, perhaps they're doing okay, but I can't imagine they're doing that well because these right. events are no longer 400 people. They are 25 people. Right. Huge difference in, in, in you know, and, and in terms of work, oftentimes you're doing the same amount of work and you're just, you have a fraction of the people, correct? It's still the same planning, the same work. So in that respect, I think people are suffering, you know, these vendors are suffering. Um, I think DJs got killed right. because where's the dancing? You're, you don't need the DJ if you're, if you're not doing any dancing, right? Bands in general, singers, people who work five, four or five nights a week doing these gigs, killed. killed. Um, I know killed. photographers probably were able to pivot to more portrait mode type things, like where they do, they, they're doing more family shoots and things like that now. Um, yeah, I think photographers, I'm not saying that they did amazing in the past couple of months, but I think that photographers still are okay because no matter how big your event is, whether it's 10 people or 5,000 people, Everybody wants good pictures. Right. Remember, it's all about social media, remember? Right. So it doesn't matter if you have a 20-person event, as long as your pictures are fabulous and you could show it off on social media. Yeah. So, so photographers are still very crucial. And so are makeup artists, by the way. Makeup right. artists, you still want to look good for those social media pictures, right? So certain businesses still are doing well. And then there are businesses that, like invitations, oh boy, invitations got killed. Right. I mean, Absolutely. you can't you can't go and, and spend thousands of dollars on an invitation if you don't know if the event will happen or not. Right. You might as well just do an evite. I, I, I'm sad to say that, but that's what what's happened. So that that industry got killed. And what about people that are planning now for the future? And, and I think one of my listeners asked that question. So what are they generally doing um, for people that are planning for a wedding, let's say in, in October, November, December? Okay, so I'll tell you the truth. It's very difficult right now. And, and I hate to say this since I'm in the business. I'd, I'd like to kind of lie and say, yeah, plan your party in October. No problem. Everything's going to be great. The problem is we don't know. And elections are in November. And I just suspect it's going to be very, it's going to be a little crazy October, November time. Um, if you believe all that stuff, that elections have a lot to do with all of this. Um, so personally, I had a bat mitzvah planned October 25th, a deposit and everything. I just canceled it. Why? Because I'm not taking the risk of doing an event in October when I really believe that there, there, it might not really be the right time. Right. Whether it's real or not, you know what I mean? Like whether there's a second wave or not, I just suspect that fall is going to be tough on a lot right. of, in a lot of ways. And we might be forced to go backwards as opposed to forward. Um, that's why I'm doing my bat mitzvah in August. It's going to be outside. I, I, it's easier to do it in August than October outside, correct? So I'm moving right. mine early in order to try to get it oh, over early. with. Okay. Right. But, but I, I think that things might look very different come December, January. I think that 
you know, we can't predict, but I, I just think that once the elections pass, there, things might look a lot different. All right. So I'm going to ask two questions specifically yeah. on the current situation, and then I'm going to move on to post-COVID because I think that's where the more interesting aspect of this conversation is going to be. Two questions. Firstly, most innovative thing that somebody's done to make their event special since this whole thing has happened that you've seen? So I, I was part of my nephew's wedding and it was one of the most beautiful weddings I've ever experienced in my life. Um, they ended up doing it very far away upstate, a couple hours away in a lodge, not like a house, a big, beautiful cabin, but like a mansion cabin okay. that they borrow, borrowed from a friend. Their chuppah was over a bridge on a babbling brook. I mean, it was just all nature. It was all beautiful. It was 100 people, maybe, maximum. And it was one of the most beautiful weddings I've ever been to. When you say innovative, uh, you know, there was nothing innovative about it other than the fact that having that amazing location that was different and unique and not just a backyard or not just a hall, but like a, a beautiful space upstate was, was beyond. Wow. Yeah. So I, I, when I said innovative, I meant like things that you wouldn't normally do, but because of the situation we're in, that's what happened. So yeah, that would be right. exactly right. The second question that I had is, right. um, do you see like percentage wise, how many people, and, and, and for bar and bat mitzvah is a little bit more difficult because, you know, there's, there's an exact time when they turn 12 or 13, but for more for weddings are what percentage of people are postponing the wedding and choosing to wait maybe a little bit of time to see if something changes versus having it during that time? So I think a lot of it has to do with your religious level. I, ha okay. I hate to say it. Um, the more Orthodox people um, are definitely going to get married as fast as they usually do for obvious reasons, you know, and the more modern or the less Orthodox are able to wait a little longer and perhaps they just want to have their dream wedding. So they're willing to wait six months a year to have that dream wedding. But that's not the case with the more Orthodox people. I don't believe that that's feasible or possible and even makes sense. Right. So I think that un unfortunately for them, they're going to have to go ahead and do whatever they have to do. And maybe their wedding is not going to be the dream that they imagined, but people are dealing with it and people are making do with their little backyard weddings and their smaller affairs. All right. So let's take that idea, the backyard wedding and the smaller affairs, and let's look to a time when COVID is over. So we spoke earlier about the extravagance and the size of weddings and how big they've gotten. Over the course of COVID, we've seen them shrink, shrink, <laughs> shrink exponentially. We're yeah, down to yeah. a tenth of what they, at the size they were, and people are spending far less. Now, for the people, and we, we spoke a little bit about this offline, and we, we discussed this conversation beforehand. I'm not, I'm not going to you know, hide anything from my audience. Yeah we, yeah, we do prepare for these shows. But for the people, and you've told me this, for the people who can afford it, the, peop that, 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 the people who are the haves, they will probably go straight back to spending whatever they want to spend on a wedding. But how can we get this for the people, for, for the, let's call them the have-nots, but even the, the have-a-little-bits. How can we rein in the spending? Do you think that COVID, that what we've seen now, can possibly turn the tide so that people aren't going super crazy? And I know this is a hard question for you because like, you make your living off of people spending more yeah. money. The more money people spend, the, more, the better it is for you. Exactly. But I'm asking exactly. you as, as, a, as a legitimate question, not as, a, uh, not as the event planner who wants people to spend more money, but as just an observer. So I think um, for now and for the near future, people now 
feel that it's okay to not go crazy and um, it's not embarrassing to tone it down. And this could be a long time from now when it really, really ends, right? Um, I, think, I think people will take with them the concept that you do not have to invite the whole world. They see that they were able now to get away with putting a line between who really are your close friends and family and who are people who you love, but don't have to be at your simcha. And they right. can watch from afar and say mazel tov to you on Facebook or Instagram, but they don't have to be, you don't have to pay for them to come and eat a meal at your simcha. So I think that people will carry this um, and there will be certain parts of this industry that are going to continue feeling it. Like, I hate to say it, I think invitations is a big one. I think that, that it's causing people to go towards the evite route and people are feeling that's okay. You know, I, I could do evites. What's the big deal, right? Um, so I, I, again, the, the people who have, the people who are super duper wealthy, they'll continue to make extravagant things, whether small or big. Believe me, even now, those very wealthy people are making insane small events in their right. yards. It's still insane. And they're still going all out. And they're spending a, more than most people spend on a regular, you, you know what I mean? Right. Um, so it, it really comes down to, I, I think the haves will continue to have and they'll continue to, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with them spending their money on this. Every, nobody should judge. If you have that much money, it's different for you. You know, a hundred grand is different for you than it is for someone else. For them, if it's nothing to spend a hundred grand, why judge them? Let them spend their hundred grand and make a beautiful event that makes them happy and even makes you happy because you love going to these events and enjoying it. So I think that those will continue, but those who couldn't afford and had to take mortgages now have an excuse and can say, you know what? I don't need to do this anymore. I could, I could tone it down. Yeah. Which so, is a welcome thing. Even, even though I'm in the business, I could say that it is definitely a welcome attitude. Right. I think somebody in the business would probably rather a customer go home happy saying, hey, look, this person, this, this event planner really helped me, you know, conserve my money. Like she, she didn't push me to spend more and more and more just because that's what she would make off of it or he. I mean, exactly. The, exactly. So the, the, well, listen, the, 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 I've never operated like that. Me and my partner, Naomi, we always operate with, let's see how much we could save you. You know, we have a certain fee as a party planner, whether you have a big event or a small event, this is the fee. And that's what we make. And that's why we're, 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 we try very hard to stay within the budget of the clients. And often we even dissuade clients from doing certain things. We say, it's not worth it. You're not going to get the right bang for your buck. Don't spend on this. So we always sure have clients that appreciate that. Absolutely. And that's why I'm not worried so much about our ability to make money after this when people become more low key, because we're going to continue making money off of what we always make money off of, which is our time, which doesn't change whether you have 100 people or 20 people. Our time is the same, right? right. Um, we're gonna continue making money off of things like, you know, I, I have my graphic business, so people hire me often to do a lot of the swag in the graphics. That has nothing to do with anything, you know? And, and so I'm not worried about, let's say, our future in terms of like, if people decide to become more low key. That right. doesn't impact personally my business, uh, the way we do business. Good, all right. So a couple of the ideas that I was bouncing off a few people on things that we can potentially cut. So before I give you things that we could potentially cut in theory from Jewish weddings, I, I was always curious how the format of a Jew, I don't know if you know this, how a format of a Jewish wedding, a modern day Jewish wedding started. Like we come in, there's a smorgasbord and then there's the, you know, there's the bedeckin and then there's the, the ceremony the and then there's, and then, right. the, then there's the meal, the dancing, whatever. Like, I don't understand why we have to have all of those things. So one thing that I was discussing is, first of all, 
getting rid of the smorgasbord. If you go to a non-Jewish wedding, um, there's no smorg. It's pass around. It's, 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 it's all pass around. Yeah, it's a it's a cocktail hour. Yeah. If small small drinks and maybe maybe like some hors d'oeuvres going around. That's it. They're spending yeah. they're spending a fraction of what we're spending on a smorg uh, for for their cocktail hour. Um, and then the other idea is that you want to have people come and 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 be misameach with you and dance with you. Have them come for the ceremony. So you have the cocktail hour, the ceremony, the dancing, and then whoever you really want to stick around for the actual meal, they can stick around for an actual meal. And you don't even have to do the meal there. You could in, in like a, in a venue, you can transition that to uh, a smaller like a house or a shul where you can have you know not a crazy amount of people where you would require this huge caterer and all this food. So I don't know if it's possible to, 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 to just nullify, you know, the last hundred years of how Jewish weddings right. have operated, but why don't we see a lot more people just not going with the, you know, cookie cutter, this is how Jewish weddings are supposed to be. Right. Listen, it's very hard to, to do things differently like that. Remember, everybody's trying to keep up. Everyone's trying to be like everyone else or up everyone else. Right. right. So it's difficult to suddenly tell someone, let's just completely change the whole thing in order for you to save money and get rid of these things that they think are so important, like the smorg. Do I think the smorg is important? No, I don't. I mean, right. it's, it's ridiculous that you're eating a massive meal before a meal. Right. Um, on the other hand- That's called Shabbos usually. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> but, but on the other hand, if you do that idea of inviting people just for the smorg and chuppah and then goodbye after the chuppah, right? Um, or the first dance and then goodbye, and then let the closest people stay for dinner, then the smorg does become important right. because you have to feed people. You're not going to invite people to come to an event where they're giving you a nice gift, right? And you're not feeding them. You know, the pass arounds are never enough. Let's be real, right? Right. So I think it's a matter of just maybe being creative in the future of how, how to save. And that definitely is a great idea to figure out how to split it a little bit. And I think, by the way, that's not a new idea. In the very firmer world, um, you are only invited to the chuppah and the smorg. Right. Yes. So I, yeah, I've, I've, I've received those event, those invitations. Right. That, that's something that happens often, especially when you're a big rabbi or a teacher. You cannot afford to invite all your students and your. So I, I think that that happens. Right. I do. Okay. So to you mentioned how difficult it would be to change this idea. What would it take to actually make these changes? Is this something that would have to come down from, like rabbinic authority from community perspective, meaning maybe not like all different rabbinic organizations coming together and saying, we should do this, but maybe like a community saying, all right, from now on, like, I, I don't, I don't like that. You know what? Okay. I've seen communities try to form, you know, rules or, or guidance. Um, and I never was happy about that. Recently, I remember a school was trying to encourage kids not to have swag. They figured, let's cut back on the swag to save money and instead give to tzedakah. It sounds very noble, but at the end of the day, the swag is just one of those aspects of a bar and bat mitzvah that makes the kids very happy. And it's the one thing that you actually go home with, um, whereas the flowers and the balloons die, right? right. Um, the, the food you eat and it's over, it's gone, right? But the swag, the sweatshirts, the, so I never agreed with that. And I was very mad that the school went ahead and tried to encourage kids not to do swag. Not even because it hurts my business, which it did, but because I just felt it was unfair to tell people how to spend their money. So I, I don't agree that the community should come together and say, here's what we're going to do from now on. Everybody has to do this. I think unfortunately, or fortunately, it has to come from the top, meaning a family that is known to be wealthy and popular and everybody knows decides to become low key suddenly it becomes acceptable. 
it, it, I think that's the only way that something like that will change. So it has to be on an individual level as opposed to a, like a community, I don't want to say crackdown, but like a community policy. Right. I think that if, if you see enough, you know, prestigious families that everyone thinks are, have it all, decide to make it more low key. And by the way, there have been situations like that where I've witnessed families that could afford do it more low key. And yes, it always I, impresses yeah. people. I feel like people then attend these events and say, wow, these people could have done anything. And look, they were so simple. Yes. Maybe, maybe I don't have to go so crazy if they are able to do it. I, I think that's where it will come. But I think COVID definitely is going to influence the event industry in a big way too. All right. And you think we should kind of, we should, we should push for this type of a thing. You should try to convince the, these people that can, that can't afford and to, to, to make a huge lavish wedding to kind of bring it down, even though that might affect your business so that it would help everybody else. So I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I don't, I don't believe I should be pushing anyone to do anything with okay. their money. I believe that if you are very wealthy and you feel it makes you happy to do an extravagant event, that's your choice. You know, um, I'm not going to go and try to, force these people or, or try to encourage these people to become the leaders of the community. It's either you want to do it or you don't. It's not my business to try to encourage people to step up and be a leader, you know? So no, I don't agree with telling people what to do. Okay. I think that there will always be those, and there are, I'm telling you, I witness it, who, who, who do step up and say, you know what? I don't need to, to do, and I don't need to. And I've had so many clients like that, I can't even tell you, who are very wealthy, who did make low-key events. And it's people like that that might end up influencing people. But I would never tell a client what to do with their money, ever. I have a couple of questions from listeners. I, I only posted this on social media about 15 minutes before our discussion was right. recording. So I have five, six questions from listeners uh, okay. that wanted to throw out some questions to you. So I, I, I apologize to all the listeners. Uh, I did not write your names down. I, I decided to do this really last minute. So here are all the questions that I, that I received. If it's in the client's best interest to not use a party planner, would you ever advocate for them to not use you? Absolutely. I can't tell you how many times people call me and I say, you don't need me. Hmm. You don't need me. You could do it yourself. And in fact, let me help you by giving you all of my sources and here's their numbers. And I believe that you're capable of, of doing it yourself, you know? Um, but the only thing I will tell them is that if you have someone you could, tr you think your caterer can handle day of and run the whole day, then you don't need me. But if you don't think that, then perhaps you need, maybe not me, but someone like me to be in charge of day of so that you can relax and not be worried about everything coming together. But I've told, I, I can't tell you how many people I, I, tr you know, dissuade from hiring me because I, I feel their budget is way too small to include a party planner and they you know whether they don't work they're home they have the time why why can't they do it so I, I do that all the time okay next question is the actual cost per person going up or down from my experience unfortunately people are spending significantly more money per person smaller weddings yes but much more money per head yeah I feel like everything's going up in general right. everything keeps going up everywhere yeah. And maybe things will change now that COVID hit and people will, will lower it a little bit to accommodate people's new financial reality. But it seemed that just things just keeps going up. Yeah. Um, and the only thing, by the way, in life that has not gone up is what camps pay these poor children to hmm. be counselors. When I was a counselor years ago, I paid 400 for the summer. 
today the kids get paid the same four hundred dollars. That's the only wow. thing that I could say that has not gone up. Right. I would. I, I think youth. Uh, youth like Shabbos, youth uh, leader pay uh, probably has not gone up much either. I think. Nope. It yeah. has not gone up. Yeah. The, not the, at the, all. Yeah. We 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 keep cracking down on our kids. Um, yeah. Um, how do you, oh, I, I know who asked this question. This is actually came from my mother. Um, <laughs> how <laughs> yeah. do you plan a wedding when you don't know if you're having 25 people or 250 people? So the numbers is really more about the food situation because you're still going to have the same band, the same photographer, the same makeup artist, the same chuppah, the same, um, you know, flowers. I mean, maybe you'll have more flowers if you have more tables, less flowers if you have less tables. But a lot of the details in a wedding is the same whether you have 100 or whether you have 20 or whether you have 400. Um, it's just a matter of how much, right? So how do you plan a wedding? When you deal with the caterer, you're going to have to be upfront with the caterer and say, I need, I need a quote for 200 people. And I need you to give me a deadline of when the last possible date I could tell you that I'm, I'm, my numbers have changed. You know, same with the flowers, you know. And understand that you might have a small job, you might have a bigger job. There's nothing I could do about it. So that, that's how you do it. You have to be upfront with your vendors. So the last question we cut uh, from a listener is we've been talking about a lot from the perspective of somebody making, uh, making an event, making a wedding, making a bar mitzvah. What about people attending? So the, 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 the cost for people to make one is, is whatever it is. We, that's been this entire discussion. Uh, going to an event, buying gifts, travel. Ah, that, the gifts. The yes. gifts, the travel that, that, that involved, yes. that's involved, the amount of time that it takes out. So is that something that we can rein in on um, where people aren't expected to give that huge of a gift okay. or things like that? This is a very good subject because one thing I could tell you is that the gift situation is just as out of control, BC, as it was, BC before Corona, as the wedding uh, barnets for lavishness. The gifts just keep going up and up and up. It used to be 180, then 250, then 360, then four. It, and let me tell you, you need a secondary income just to, to, to give gifts to right. all the people that you're invited to. Remember, you're being invited to people you're not even friends with, right? Exactly. You said hi to them in shul, you're being invited. What do you give, right? If you're very close with somebody, the number goes up. If you're less close, the number goes down. But there is a minimum that's acceptable that if you go below that minimum, people will talk about you and there's a lot of pressure a right. lot of pressure to, to give that amount. Um, I think that's also out of control. And that's a good conversation to have. The gift situation is out of control. So, so if you're invited to a small event where they're spending less money on you, it would stand to reason that your gift should not necessarily be the same unless super close. It would give no matter what on the, the size of the event and the situation. Hmm. Um, and a Zoom event is not the same as an event where they're paying for you, correct? Right, exactly. So, I, so, I know I know people who have, I don't know, I don't know how taboo this is, who have uh, declined to go to weddings for fear of how much money they'd have to spend on giving a gift. So they would. That's not they, surprising. They would that's say no, surprising. but they, they would still send like a small, like a much smaller gift. Here's fifty dollars, yeah. something like that, and then yeah. that would be it. They wouldn't go. Makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. Before we let you go, is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Listen, I, my prayer is that one day we get back to normal mm -hmm. and perhaps we could take with us what we learned from this whole um, ordeal um, to be more humble, <laughs> to not necessarily have to always show off everything, right? Um, family is the most important, that your closest friends are the most important. It, and hopefully we'll carry this with us 
But my prayer is that we do one day get back to normal where people, where people can make these amazing events and not have to fear and not have to limit and not have to, you know, live yeah. like this, basically. Exactly. All right. Thank you so much, Michal, uh, for There's joining There's a new industry oh. that's, that's, that's depending on it. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And for all these people that decided to put all of their eggs in this type of basket, um, it, if we were to cut back on a lot of stuff, then they, they, a lot of people might have to find new things to do for a living. Um, Absolutely. So yeah, I, my, my heart goes out to those people as well. I apologize if this podcast kind of cut into those, uh, those of you who depend on that type of an income. Right. But listen, I'm a party planner and I'm being honest here. Yes, exactly. You know, even if it cuts into my income, um, I'm, I'm being honest about you right. know, what's happening and right. what I'm feeling. So Exactly. All right. Michal Weinstein, thank you so much for joining thank me you. this week. And, thank you uh, for where, having sorry, me. Before, before I let you go, where can people find you? Um, so I have two accounts on Instagram. I'm a big Instagrammer. MLW Design NY is my graphic and my more personal um, Instagram. And there's Events360 NY, which is our party planning Instagram account. Okay. Twitter, Facebook, anywhere? Not a big Twitter, believe it or not. <laughs> I'm on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. Uh, same thing, Events360 NY, MLW Design on Facebook. Yep. All right. And we'll <laughs> link to all those um, in the show notes. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you for having me. This was All a great, right. great time. Great conversation. Yes. My thanks to Michal Weinstein for joining us this week. All the links Michal mentioned will be listed in the show notes. One thing that I didn't mention that illustrates just how far we've come in the size of weddings is that both my parents and my in-laws got married in the same venue in 1984. That venue was considered way too small to hold my wedding in 2011. Weddings have become massive events in our community, and we probably needed to start thinking about reducing the size of them about 20 years ago. For all of the destruction it has caused, COVID gives us the opportunity to reassess wedding costs now. If you're interested in another area where COVID has impacted the Orthodox world financially, I recommend you check out episode 37 of our podcast, Yeshiva Finances in the Age of COVID-19 with Alan Steinberg. Until next time, as always, call to the Jewish Living Podcast is produced by Swirly Pikus. Our theme song is The Band by A.B. Rottenberg from Journeys 4. You can email the show at jewishlivingpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Jewish underscore living. The Jewish Living Podcast is recorded in conjunction with the Queen's Jewish Link. <laughs>